Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 8. More Men, Mortality and Meddling. In this chapter, we're going to meet some more of the mortals, many of whom we will see again as the great stories of ancient Greek mythology unfold. The story of the family of Pelops is one of the most bloodthirsty tales of Greek mythology and follows on from the tales of some of the villains of the underworld who we have already met. It's going to be fun to see what happens to them and who we are left with at the end. So, let's get started. Do you remember Tantalos? Yes, he is the poor chap in the underworld, trying to eat and drink, but never succeeding. Tantalos was being punished by the gods for a number of crimes, and it is as the victim of one of those crimes that we first meet Pelops. Tantalus was a great favourite with the gods. He regularly sacrificed to them, and he frequently ate with them. Why he decided to do what he did with Pelops is not really clear, but he certainly spoiled his nice life. Pelops was Tantalus's son, and it seems that Tantalus was not proud of the boy because he decided to feed him to the Olympians. When Lycaon tried this trick, Zeus sent down a great flood, so maybe Tantalus had simply had enough of everything and thought Zeus might do the same thing again. Unfortunately for Tantalos, this is not what happened. Tantalus cut poor Pelops up into a load of small pieces and cooked a fantastic stew. He served the stew to the gods, but they realised something was up, and they all refused to eat it. All, that is, except Demeter, who was still sad about Persephone spending all that time in the underworld. In her sadness, she did not notice she was eating small boy stew, and she tucked into a big piece of Pelops's shoulder. When she noticed, she was horrified, and the gods decided to bring Pelops back to life. The pieces were put back together, and Pelops was whole once more. Only the shoulder that Demeter had already eaten couldn't be restored, and so the goddess made him a new one from ivory. Poseidon carried Pelops up to Olympia, where he was looked after while he grew up. And we all know what happened to Tantalos. The great god Poseidon kept a watchful eye over the young man. When Pelops was old enough, Poseidon decided to find him a wife, and he chose Hippodamia, the daughter of the king of Elis. She was very, very beautiful, and it was surprising she wasn't already married, as there had been many young men who had wanted to marry her. So why wasn't she married? Was she too fussy about her boyfriends? Did she go off them quickly? Were they not rich or handsome enough for her? Well, no, none of these things were the problem. The problem with Hippodamia's boyfriends was simple. All of their heads were nailed to the wall of her father's palace. Yes, her father was Oinomaos, son of Ares, who forced his daughter's boyfriends into chariot races and had them killed when they lost. Eighteen of them were now pinned to the palace and they were certainly in no fit state to be good husbands to Hippodamia. Pelops realised he was going to need some help if he was to do any better, so he had a chat with Poseidon. Speed me in the swiftest of chariots, he said, for eighteen men he has killed. Poseidon was happy to oblige, and he sent a wonderful chariot pulled by winged horses. In order to make sure he won, though, Pelops had a trick up his sleeve. He persuaded the king's charioteer to help. The charioteer replaced the pins holding the wheels onto the king's chariot. He took out the bronze ones, and in their place he put pins made of wax. The race began, and it was very close. The winged horses pulled Pelops clear, but Oinomaos began to catch up. Laughing, the evil king drew level, but then the laughter stopped. The wax pins snapped, and the wheels of his chariot flew off. The chariot crashed, and Oinomaos, cursing Pelops and the charioteer, crashed to his death. As we know, he ended up in Tartarus too. 
Pelops, rather stupidly, murdered the charioteer by throwing him off a mountain, perhaps because he felt guilty about the trick. The charioteer cursed Pelops as he fell. Pelops instantly regretted what he had done, and travelled to the end of the earth where Hephaestus purified his soul. Unfortunately for Pelops, Hermes was the charioteer's father, and even though Pelops introduced the worship of Hermes into the kingdom, the curse was never lifted. It haunted Pelops and his family for generations. Pelops married Hippodamia and became king of Elis. Pretty soon he was in charge of most of the lands of southern Greece. These lands are now named after him. The peninsula, attached to the rest of the Greece by a six-mile-wide stretch of land, is now called the Peloponnese, which means Island of Pelops. He also became a great hero and was given a magnificent scepter by Hephaestus. This was passed down through the descendants of Pelops. One of these descendants, a chap called Heracles, later created a shrine to the great king. But we will leave the adventures of Heracles for a later chapter. It was the children of Pelops who suffered from the curse put on their father. Pelops had six sons, and not many of them had happy lives. We will have a little look at the middle two boys. Sons three and four were called Atreus and Thyestes. It was foretold by an oracle that the throne of the great kingdom of Mycenae would pass to a son of Pelops. Both Atreus and Thyestes thought that they should be king, and so began one of the most terrible feuds in the myths of the Greeks. Neither brother would stop at anything to become king, and the battle for the throne was long, bloody, and very unfriendly. Hermes hadn't forgiven Pelops for killing his son the charioteer, and decided to cause some trouble. He created a lamb with a golden fleece. The owner of the golden lamb had the right to be the king of Mycenae. Atreus was given the lamb, and so he became king. Unfortunately, his wife Aerope preferred his brother, and so she gave the lamb to Thyestes, and he became king. Aerope left Atreus to be with Thyestes, even though she and Atreus already had two sons. Atreus, though, had powerful friends. He had very powerful friends. He had the most powerful friend that a mortal could have, the king of the gods himself. He asked his friend to help, and Zeus was only too happy to give Atreus a hand. Atreus said that if he could show he could perform miracles, then the people would want him as king. Zeus reversed the direction of the sun, so it rose in the west and set in the east. The people of Mycenae were amazed, and realised that Atreus had the support of the gods. He became king again, and Thyestes was exiled. Thyestes' two sons were killed on Atreus's orders. Atreus had won the battle for the throne. He then had his own wife drowned for her treachery. He married again and had one more son. This son really was the son of Thyestes. Thyestes was banished from Mycenae for many years, until the elder two sons of Atreus went on a trip to Delphi. There they saw a man who they thought they recognised. When they looked more closely they realised that it was Thyestes, and so they grabbed him and took him back to Mycenae. Atreus threw his brother into prison, and then told his third son, Aegisthos, to go and kill him. This Atreus is not a nice chap, is he? It's a wonder he didn't end up in Tartarus doing something pointless to pay for his crimes. Don't worry, though, it doesn't end well for him. Aegisthos went to the prison to do as he was told, and he was about to kill Thyestes, when Thyestes recognised the sword he was carrying. He told Aegisthos that he was his father, not Atreus. Aegisthos ran to find his mother to ask if the story was true, and she went to the cell to see Thyestes. When she saw him, she said that yes, it was true.
Aegisthos could not bring himself to kill his real father, so he took the sword back to Atreus and lied about doing what he had been told to do. Atreus was delighted to hear that his enemy, his brother, was dead, and he went down to the sea to celebrate and offer a sacrifice to the gods. Aegisthos, though, was furious about all the things that Atreus had done to Thyestes, and so he followed him and killed him with Thyestes' sword. Thyestes took the throne back from his dead brother and exiled Atreus's two sons. He cursed them both. These two boys, known as the Atreidae, went off to find fortune, and both became kings in parts of Greece. We will hear about them again right at the end of this chapter. Before we meet them, though, we will tell one more little tale of the gods meddling in the lives of the mortals. Leda was the wife of the king Tyndareus, king of Sparta. Zeus took a liking to her and decided she'd be a good choice for his next girlfriend. As usual, he didn't play fair and he pretended to be a swan which was escaping from an eagle. He flew down and nestled in Leda's arms as if he wanted her to protect him from the eagle. As usual, the trick worked and pretty soon Zeus had another few children. He placed the swan and the eagle in the sky to commemorate the trick. The eagle became the constellation Aquila, and the swan became the constellation Cygnus. The birth of the children was a bit unusual this time, though. Leda did not have children like most people do. She laid two eggs. Yes, the poor girl laid eggs, and had to look after the eggs until they were ready. When they were ready, from the eggs hatched four children. All of them will play important roles in our story as we go forward. The two boys were called the Dioscori, or Boys of Zeus, and they were named Castor and Polydeuces. Although they were twins, they were not exactly the same, because Polydeuces was immortal, but Castor was not. From the other egg hatched two girls, one of whom would eventually become the most beautiful woman in the world. These two girls were named Helen and Clytemnestra. The stories of Leda and the family of Pelops come together nicely. Hello, Helen married one of the sons of Atreus, and he became king of Sparta after Tyndareus died. Clytemnestra married the other son of Atreus, and he returned to Mycenae and threw out Thyestes. He became king of his father's old kingdom. Clytemnestra and Helen will play important roles in the last of the great myths, that of the Trojan War, which we will tell in the final chapters of our story. Their husbands whose names were Agamemnon and Menelaos, will be leaders of the Greek forces during that great and terrible conflict. During this chapter, we mentioned something called the Golden Fleece. The next two chapters of our story will be the tale of Jason and the Argonauts, who went to rescue the Golden Fleece from a place far away. Until next time, have a great week, and I'll speak to you then.